Welcome, my friends, to the Depression to Expression podcast, to yet another episode, and of course, another incredible guest. I'm chatting with Michael Anhorn today, the executive director of the Canadian Mental Health Association, Vancouver Fraser Branch. And yes, that's Vancouver, Canada. I know we have a lot of American listeners. But this episode should still resonate with you because let me let me ask you a question, everyone. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been on a roller coaster and you really didn't want to be on one? And at the beginning of the roller coaster, you hear that sound of click, 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 and you keep getting higher and higher and higher. It's that lack of control that creates that fear. And that's what we're experiencing right now. It's almost a roller coaster of emotion. And we desire control. We want some control again. We want some certainty. We want to be able to predict the future at least a little bit. And that's why having Michael on is such an incredible, incredible experience for me. And I really know that it's it's going to help you out so much because he has a lot of experience working for the Canadian Red Cross in disaster response. So he knows what's going on as, as not only a country, but with individuals facing mental health challenges. What's going on? So in this episode, we're going to talk about some mental health tips to help you through the days. We're going to provide you with some resources. And Michael just has a, a great way of expressing and explaining the idea of mental health. Because this is something I've battled for a while. It's like, what does mental health actually mean? These two words put together like peanut butter and jam in the campaigns we see. What does it actually mean? I think it's such a powerful episode and I'm so grateful to have Michael with me. So sit on down, grab a cup of tea. This is going to be a great experience for everyone. I'd like to thank you all for tuning in. I'd like to thank Michael so much and the Canadian Mental Health Association for making this happen. Stay strong, everyone. Here we go. I'm done chatting. In three, two, one. Michael, thank you so much for coming on the Depression to Expression podcast. I really appreciate your time. Oh, I'm really honored to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. How's Vancouver treating you? How's how's Vancouver faring with everything that's going on as as a city? Yeah, I you know I think we're doing fairly well. It's um you know and I think it's a relief to people to see our numbers going down. Um, we we seem to have managed to miss the, the the worst case scenario and um so yeah i you know it's raining here today which is actually ironically a little nice usually it rains all the time here but it hasn't rained for quite some time so uh, i think people are glad to see the rain and see the earth getting a bit uh moisturized again um right and uh yeah and, and otherwise i think you know people are definitely feeling it uh but i think vancouver's doing okay as okay as can be. Right. And when we think about, you know, we're asking how cities are doing and a lot of us are just recalling the numbers that we see. Uh, a lot of people aren't aware of, let's talk about like mental health statistics too, because these are really hard to measure at this time. How do you think Vancouver in your experience now is is faring, you know, mental health wise? How how are people doing? And maybe not just in Vancouver, but but across Canada. Yeah, it's like you said, it's really hard to know right now. There's there are some some work going on to try and get a better handle on that and to get some actual numbers. Um, what I can say about Vancouver, though, is prior to the pandemic, um, Vancouver was already struggling with a loneliness 
uh, epidemic, if you will. Um, so uh, some work that had been done uh, by my community, my health or my health, my community um, showed that oh, something like 80% of Vancouverites are lonely. Um, and so I think this pandemic is, will just have heightened that. Um, you know, we can't be physically present with one another right now. Um, and so loneliness grows in that kind of a, an environment. Um, I do think some people are starting to use technology to reach out uh, and are much more conscious of that. I know I'm talking with my friends way more by video conference than I ever would have before. And I'm probably seeing more of them because of that. But what I'm not getting is the in-person, the, the, you know, hand, touching hands, shaking hands, uh, the physical contact. And as great as videos are, I can't pick up on all of the nonverbal cues um, that I would in person. So as much as I'm trying to be really conscious of staying in touch, it lacks a certain quality. Um, so I think, you know, Vancouver was already wrestling with this, and I think this will just have made it even worse, unfortunately. That's something that people are really realizing. It's that a text really and even video car calls aren't the same as that in-person communication and connection. And I, I personally just started speaking about this within schools and corporations. I'm like, the antidote to a lot of anxiety and depression is in-person connection. That's the next step. And then the pandemic happened. I'm like, well, <laughs> That's not the antidote now. Like we got, we got to search for other things now. And one is video conferencing. What we're doing now, like Michael, to be honest, this feels great. Um, just to have some uh, another human being to talk to virtually. But but what else are, can Canadians do? What else can people do to 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 deal with this challenge of loneliness right now and heightened anxiety and and the age of uncertainty? Really. Well, I think one of the things is to make sure that you get out and stay active whether it's going for a walk, uh, again, maintaining appropriate social distancing or physical distancing, um, or bike rides or a run. Uh, you know, we're so privileged here in Vancouver to have the seawall if, if you run, you know, um, again, try not to go when it's crowded, um, but make sure that you keep your body moving. There's, there's increasing evidence and research that shows keeping us active helps our mood. Uh, so that's that's one way. Definitely be intentional about reaching out to your friends, even if it's only over video. It's, if that's the only way you can do it, um, do that. Uh, the other thing is find some ways to um, entertain yourself, uh, keep meaningful activity in your life. So learn a new hobby. Um, even if it's frustrating at the beginning, it may not feel like it's immediately helping your mental health, but learning that engages our brains and engages us in something we find important. And all of that boosts our, our mental health. That's beautiful. It's, it's easy to stay stagnant right now because we, a lot of people in Vancouver, if you live in a condo too, I'm in a, in a condo with my partner, 500 square feet. It's very, very challenging, but interesting at the same time. And it's easy to stay stagnant, but that, that opportunity for growth is there for people. And it's, it's almost about reframing the situation as best we can, realizing that it's very difficult and sucks, but also that there's an opportunity and there's, there's ways to grow as individuals because of this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, and that, 
reminds me of another thing that I think is really important, and that's being gentle with yourself and being okay with not being as productive or as busy as you would normally be. That if you take a day and just veg on the couch, instead of beating yourself up about it, say, okay, I'm in the middle of probably the most unusual time I've lived through. And it's okay to not be okay all the time in this time. Uh, I, I was really lucky. I Early in my career, I worked for the Canadian Red Cross and did a fair amount of disaster response. Uh, and they talk about the disaster response roller coaster, um, where some days you're really up and everything's great. And then the next day, it just feels like the whole world's falling apart and you can't handle it. And to just know that that's part of our response in crisis is that sometimes we're up, sometimes we're down. Um, if those downs last a long time, that's when we need to get concerned and, and do work with other strategies to bring ourselves back up. But a day or a half a day, that's, that's very natural in these times. And I think people that aren't used to having ups and downs might get concerned and judge themselves for having that downtime. Um, and so the, the more we can be gentle with ourselves, the more we can say, you know, I forgive myself for that day and I'm going to move on. Today's a better day. Um, the, the better it will be for, for ourselves through this, this time. That's great, Michael, because social media may, it, it always depends who you're following, but as we're on our screens more and, and in tune with what's happening, this can take a toll on mental health as well of, of constantly being engaged with, let's go back to, you know, the number of cases and constantly being updated. Would you say that there's um, an appropriate relationship we should have with what's going on in the world today? Yeah, and that will be different for every person. Um, but one of the things I've done, uh, so at the beginning of this pandemic, I was watching every news media release that happened. I was watching the news like all the time, yeah. partly because in my job, I need to know what's going on to support our staff. Um, but what I realized is that was causing me a great deal of anxiety. So now what I, I've done is limit my news consumption to three times a day. I try to watch the Prime Minister's uh, address in the morning. I try to watch Dr. Bonnie Henry's address in the afternoon. And then I watch either the six o'clock or the late night news. And that's all the news that I consume right now. I found for myself that keeps me informed, but doesn't creep my anxiety up. Um, and it's also, I get some good news in that, um, and then hear kind of the reality of what's going on with the pandemic. Sometimes that's good news. Some days it's not as good. Um, and, and other than that, I really try to not follow more news than that. Um, in other times I would follow way more news, but this has been one of my coping strategies because I was, okay. like I said, I was realizing my anxiety kept going up and every time. I turned on another news podcast. I could feel my body tighten and um, and feel my heart racing. And yeah. so this this isn't good for me. Right. Um, for other people, they may need a bit more, and some people may need like almost no or a news break. Just take a break from the updates. It's going to be there when you go back. Right? It's it's the news will be there. Right. Um, but uh, taking some time to just be away from all of it is a totally healthy response. 
Well, everyone's, again, completely different in that. But I think what's really interesting that you say you have this regimented almost schedule and routine of I'll watch it in the morning, the afternoon and the evening. Uh, routine can be, you know, we're, we're animals built on routine and we need that structure. Uh, do you find that that, you know, um, the people you've spoken to and these relationships you've built is routine something that people should should work on right now? And not to say work on as a chore, uh, but to still be gentle, right? But uh, but have that regimented mm-hmm. schedule. Yeah, I, I think of the, the saying freedom within structure. Um, That's great. So if, if you've got your structure, it's reassuring, right? And, and it definitely, we know this from studies on the impact of uh, getting back to work after mental illness. That routine really helps people to improve their mental wellness. Um, so our routines have all been thrown up into the air, right? Those of us working from home, this, you know, this is not my office, this is my home. <laughs> um, so my routine got totally thrown up in the air. Finding some way to build routine back into your life, um, and hopefully sooner than later, uh, can really help. You know, I think the first couple of days or first week from working at home can be pretty novel. Uh, and people, you know, hey, I don't need to get dressed or I don't, you know, I need to get dressed from the waist up only or whatever it is. <laughs> you know, that's that can be novel. But then at some point it's like, oh, now am I not taking care of myself? And so to build back in those routines, obviously, they're going to be a little bit different than in non-COVID-19 times. Um, but finding what those routines can be um, and and then sticking to them. Yeah. Um, and it, well, this has a lot to do with with people who are used to commuting as well. As you said, everything's kind of thrown off. But what what message would you have for 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 leaders in the workplace that that might not actually be thinking of of mental health for their employees and maybe just thinking of the bottom line? How can we involve this into the discussion of of the workplace as people are working from home now? Yeah, so I, I think it. I think it's always vital to think about mental health in the workplace. Um, you know, I may be biased. I work for the Canadian Mental Health Association, and, and it's a lot of the work that we do. Um, but there's an increasing number of studies that show that at any time, mental health impacts the bottom line. And I think that's a new way of thinking. And it's it's not, you know, it hasn't been as evident as it is now for very long. Um, but it, it's increasingly clear. If we're not thinking about and responding to the mental health needs of our our employees, um, our bottom line is going to suffer. And so, so that there hopefully is enough to get some people going, oh, yeah, this is important. Because mm. uh, it does impact the profitability of my company. Or if you're a nonprofit, it impacts your ability to deliver on your mission. Right. And so, um, so vitally important. At a time like this, when everything's been thrown up into the air it's even more important and and to take some time to just connect with the people you work with whether you're in a leadership role or as a peer a colleague um to say how are you doing start meetings with the question it's you know so simple how are you doing and take five to ten to fifteen minutes to just listen about how someone's doing it sounds like something that's fairly small and it may be outside the comfort zone of some people who are not used to engaging in a question like that. Um, but taking the time to listen, even if you don't have answers and even if you can't 
quote unquote, fix it. Listening, let someone know that there's someone else that cares about them. And that is so huge in this time, especially as for those of us that live alone or, uh, you know, maybe have different relationships with the people we live with. Having someone that we work with just ask that simple question, how are you, can make a huge difference in someone's day. That's great. Something, something so simple, but so impactful at the same time. And, and for, for a lot of us, it's, it's almost bringing a sense of empathy back into the world as, as we know that, oh my gosh, you know, maybe living alone, you know, is, is taking a toll on, on my mental health. And now I can see that other people who have been through this, I'm feeling maybe something similar. When, when you think of the, the after effects, let's say when all this is over, how do you think society will change? How do you think people will relate to maybe the term mental health now? How do you see the future? Yeah, well, I have to be honest. Seeing the future right now is very difficult. <laughs> uh, you know, I think one, I, again, for my um, disaster response days at the Red Cross, we know there is disaster response, which is just mitigate the damage, hopefully minimize it. And then there's disaster recovery which is how do we want to be after since we've experienced this seminal event? And that can take, you know, days, weeks, or years, depending on the severity. I think in this case, we're going to have both a response going on for quite some time from what I hear from the public health officials, and we're going to be in recovery at the same time, disaster recovery at the same time. And so I think it's a bit too early to know for sure how, how things are going to be. What I do know is what some of my hopes are. So I hope that we take out of this uh, a reminder that being kind to people is so important. Um, that saying hello at, uh, as we pass people on the street is part of community and it's part of maintaining mental wellness in our community. Um, I would love it. I am a little skeptical, but I'd love it if people saw, started hearing mental health as health rather than illness. So, um, you know, if you, a, a friend of mine, uh, Dr. Sky Barbic, uh, did a presentation and she said she Googled for images mental health. And what came up was all darkness and like storm clouds. And when she Googled physical health, it was people smiling and running and in groups of people looking happy. But so mental health according to Google and its, you know, its many, many users, seems to be associated more with mental illness and mental unwellness rather than actual health and wellness. So if we were able to get to move that a bit from this crisis, I would be thrilled with that. Um, because I, for me, there is a difference between health and being unwell. And, you know, we, we talk about mental health and we mean it as health positive mental health. Mm -hmm. um, so that would be great. I think reminding people about the importance of connections, having people in their life that they can depend on, that they can call on in an emergency, they can call on just when they're feeling a little down is vital. And if we can help bring awareness, not just to the public, but also to policymakers and to people who fund programs, I think in the past, People have seen programs that build friendship as being, you know, kind of 
wishy-washy and not solid, important um, programming. And I think one of the things that may come out of this uh, pandemic uh, on a, in a mental health kind of context is the importance of connection and the importance of friendship. Um, and that some people make friends easily and some people need help doing that, especially if they've had a lifetime of living fairly solitary lives. Mm. And so my hope is that government and health authorities will see the importance of supporting people to build those connections and those relationships. So I have a question about, you know, your, your work with the, with the Red Cross. So right now you'd say we're in, we're, we're in disaster, would it be response right now? And this is the roller coaster you were talking about. And there's so many unknowns, which is why I really respect you saying, hey, I don't know how the future is going to be. We're, we're just getting started, Scott. So that's a, that's a great answer. When, when we talk about disaster recovery through all of this, what, what does that actually entail? What does that mean, disaster recovery? So in a natural disaster, disaster recovery would be once the danger is done. So if you think of an earthquake, danger lasts for three or four days or a week or two, depending on the size of the disaster of the earthquake. And then afterwards comes the rebuilding. And that rebuilding can happen in a few ways. It can be just replace what was damaged, right? Exact same. And don't think about how we might improve it. Or you can take that opportunity to go, okay, so we've got a new canvas. What do we want to build? As a community, what do we want to build in place of what was there? Making sure we honor the past, making sure we understand the different impacts on different people and different groups of people. But how do we want to build this? Because we have an opportunity now to choose. Whereas before, especially in an earthquake, the buildings are built pretty hard to destroy them. It's expensive to replace them. Um, and, but you've got an opportunity when, you know, and I mean, an earthquake, I don't want to talk about too much as an opportunity, but after it happens and then once people are safe, then comes the opportunity for saying, okay, how, what choices do we want to make to try and improve our community and our lives? Mm. And I think with this pandemic, we'll also have that opportunity. It's going to be complicated because the pandemic isn't just going to have a clear end date from, from what I'm hearing and seeing. But I think if, if enough of us talk about that, we can start to influence what we want to see coming out of this. What's, you know, to use a cliche, what's the silver lining in this? Um, knowing that a silver lining doesn't just pre-exist, but it's based on the choices we make going forward. Hmm. And the, that silver lining can also be the, uh, a result of what people are struggling with now. So if we're knowing that, you know, mental health is a big issue right now and loneliness with that beautiful fresh canvas after this that let's can be slowly, slowly built up. How can we maybe bring in more mental health supports for the work, workplace for people at home, both in person and online? Do you know the kind of supports that are being used right now? It can either be through the CMHA or um, through through Health Canada. Are people seeking the help that they need? Do you get a sense of that for for those um, either working from home, living alone, those struggling with pre-existing mental health conditions, new mental health conditions, or I should yeah. say mental health problems? Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
So we know people are starting to reach out. We uh, CMHA in BC operates a program called Bounce Back. Um, and we've seen a really significant uh, increase in the number of people trying to access that program over the last week. Um, so I think people are starting to reach out. Um, Bounce Back's a, a telephone-based coaching program that, that helps people build skills that to maintain mental or obtain and then maintain mental wellness. Um, we've also, uh, we're about to start delivering an online virtual version of a, usually what, what used to be an in-person workshop called Living Life to the Full, which is similar to Bounce Back, except that it's in a group context, um, but it works on building similar skills. And we're about to start delivering that online. Um, and again, we haven't even set the dates for those workshops yet, but we have over 160 people that have expressed interest in being involved in one of the first workshops. Um, you know, and those workshops get capped at 15 people per workshop. So, so we've got quite a few workshops that we'll, we'll be rolling out over the next, uh, hopefully over the next couple of weeks. Um, so I, I do think people are starting to, to reach out. I think people are starting to realize that this pandemic not only has had physical and economic impacts, but mental health impacts. Right. Um, I also think, again, based on the disaster response and recovery kind of model, usually right after a disaster, there are some people immediately impacted with mental health concerns. And where more people are impacted is once the immediate threat is gone, their stress response is released and they go, oh, I'm not doing as well as I thought. So I'm also anticipating that, you know, about three months after this started is when some people really start feeling the mental health impacts. Uh, and it's, it's why I'm thrilled, like in BC, the provincial government stepped up and made an investment in mental health support services so that come about the three month mark, we'll be ready to support people and, 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 the, and hopefully society and the health care system will be ready to support people. I, I I think that's that that makes perfect sense that after you know that this three month period, I don't necessarily want to call it the honeymoon phase, but it's it's the phase where everything's new, as you said, it's a novel idea that you can work from home and that you you don't have the commute anymore. But when things start to become real and you start to relax a little bit, I think that's when your mind basically opens up to the reality and the let's call it the surrealness of the situation. I actually I, I never thought of that before, Michael. that's that's really true. Yeah, and I also, and I don't want to minimize the economic impact because that also creates a ton of stress for people. And again, that will, that stress increases over time, right? The longer someone's off work, the longer, the more their stress will increase, the more their economic situation will, will deteriorate. Um, and, and we know that income and mental health are tied together, right? They're, they're closely aligned. Right. Uh, and so for people who find themselves out of work, um, that that's going to get more and more stressful the longer that this um, goes on. Yeah. I, I want to really touch on something about you spoke at around the middle-ish area. And it's something that I've been fighting for like 10 years now is the the mental health versus mental illness conversation, right? And I think it's so great that you brought that up, that you, you search mental health and you get the black and white images with the person with their head down and all alone. And 
again, this is something I'm fighting is to shift that conversation to know that mental health is, is health and it's positive and everyone has it. Um, the one thing though, that you said is, and I love the word is to be, be gentle and to know and to realize that if you're working from home and if you, let's say lost your job and you're maybe living alone and you're experiencing a lack of exercise and just the whole routine is out of place it is perfectly human and normal to feel anxious, more anxious than you may have before. It's normal maybe to lose sleep and to be worried. Is this the kind of conversation that we want to get going? It's to know the baseline of normal that that these things hit us. And yes, we're human. We're going to feel things, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's where we need to go with this. What, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I think anytime we can normalize uh, conversations around emotion and emotional reactions, uh, the better it is for us. Um, I often think of emotion, especially strong emotions that people have a difficult or negative relationship with, like anxiety, like fear. The more we don't talk about them, often the more power they have over us. So if we can help people to talk about even those, you know, what some people would see as scary or negative emotions, talk about those more. What I have found in my life um, is that then lessens the amount of power they have over me so that I can get back to making choices for myself that are as healthy as possible. Um, if I don't talk about the fearing or the anxiety that I'm feeling, then it, like, it takes over. And I can't, then my, my rational brain can't kick in to be like, wait, this isn't healthy. We know that, like we, <laughs> the royal we inside my head, knows if I do these things, I feel better. So do them, right? Mm. But if when fear and anxiety are in control, I can't make those choices and those decisions. Right. Um, so I think anything we can do to help people talk about the emotional side of what they're experiencing is going to help. I think also helping people to learn when is this an emotion that I'm feeling like anxiety um, and when is it moving towards being problematic or being an illness, right? Like we all feel anxious. We all feel sad from time to time, but what's the difference between sad and depression, right? I was never taught that growing up. Um, it, it's still something, honestly, some days I have trouble figuring out, I'm like, am I just sad or am I feeling, am right. I depressed and I need more help? Right. right. And so, um, helping people to learn those differences and helping people to learn how to ask for help. Um, it, again, it, it may sound simple to ask for help, but for a lot of people, they are raised and or trained that asking for help is the last thing you do. You mm -hmm. only do that when everything else has failed. And what we find in, in mental health is the sooner you ask for help, one, the better the outcome is, and two, the faster you feel better, right? right. And so if we can help people to understand that asking for help earlier is actually the stronger and better thing to do, um, then I think, well, then there'll be less suffering and people will get connected to the supports they need earlier. It seems like a complete reframe that might be happening, almost like that that blank canvas after you know the response where 
uh, before we thought, okay, I need to do everything on my own. That's a sign of strength. Let's flip it. Actually, now that we're realizing that, you know, man, do I need people now? And asking for help actually does make me feel better. And that is the strong thing to do. The hopeful side that you had, do you feel like this reframe, do you think people will be more open uh, during the, let's let's call it the recovery phase? I, I sure hope so. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I, I call myself a, a pragmatic optimist. <laughs> so I, I really hope so. Um, and I, you know, again, we're still in the response phase. So I think it's too early to know for sure. But, um, but that's definitely my hope. And I think, you know, as an organization, we're trying to do some stuff to help with that. And, and as an individual, that's definitely some of the conversations I'm having with my friends Right, uh, is try and encourage that, that kind of reach out early, make sure that you've got a, a network of people that you trust, that trust you and that support you. And, and if you don't, then how do we work together to get that? I want to be sure that we fit this in because what well, you spoke about the bounce back, you spoke, you spoke about, was it live life to the full? Was that the living, program? Living life to the full. Living life to the full. Uh, we will, we will put those links in the bio. Um, are there any other offerings that the, the CMHA has at this time and is, is organizing for the future for, for, for people, for Canadians? Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I can only talk about what's happening here in Vancouver in, in Canadian Mental Health Association. But what I sure. what I know in Vancouver, all of the services that we had done prior to the pandemic, we continue to do. But instead of doing them in person, which is how almost all of them were done, we're now doing them over the phone, over the Internet, um, in other virtual kind of ways. Um, so, you know, we've got a clubhouse in Burnaby. Um, that clubhouse, it usually has, you know, 20 to 40 people in it. We can't do that now. But we're still connecting with the people who are members of the clubhouse. We're trying to check in on them and make sure they're okay. Um, and make sure they're okay, you know, financially, from a food perspective, from a physical perspective, and from a mental health perspective. Um, and and so we've adapted all of our existing programming uh to be delivered virtually because because again we know or we knew going into this that people are going to need more support during a crisis not less mm -hmm. um, so we did everything we could with all of our programs and we did we we moved our whole organization from being in person to being virtual in less than two weeks um it, it, huge testament to our staff and to our leadership team who you know yeah, I don't know how we did it. I, I mean, I was part of it, and I still don't know how we did it. But we did it. I know why we did it. We did it because we knew that the people we support still need support and yeah. probably need more support now um, because of the crisis and everything else that they're dealing with. Um, so, you know, one of the things that will be coming up uh, fairly soon, we offer a peer navigator uh, program. So people with lived experience of mental health and substance use who help other people uh, that are experiencing mental illness or substance use uh, concerns um, to navigate the systems that get them support, that get them income, uh, that get them employment. And right now that program is only offered in Vancouver. Um, we've 
through the province, uh, our provincial office has secured some funding, and that's going to let us open it up to the rest of our region, uh, at least for the next uh, 11 months or so. Um, and so, so that will be coming. Hopefully, we'll be able to do an announcement about that in, in a week or two. Um, but I'm, I'm really excited about it. There's a lot of evidence that says that, that uh, testifies to the importance of peers working with peers uh, and helping and supporting one another. And so uh, we're really excited to be able to, to expand that program in that way. Um, and yeah, and then bounce back and they like to the or the other two really major initiatives we've got going on. The last one, uh, we do a course called Resilient Minds, and it's um, focused uh, on firefighters right now and uh, preventing stress-related injuries. So post-traumatic stress disorder is one example of a stress-related injury. Um, we've uh, worked with the, the developers of that course to rework it to be shorter because it's going to be delivered online as a webinar um, and to be applicable to frontline healthcare workers. Um, so that webinar, uh, we're just in the final processes of recording and editing. And uh, I, I don't know all that goes into the behind the scenes of that, but there, we're in the final stages of that. And we hope to be have that posted fairly soon. Um, because there are things we can do if we're starting to get overwhelmed with stress and anxiety. There are things we can do to take care of ourselves. Um, but if we don't know them, then we don't know to do them. And so that our hope is that that workshop uh, webinar will uh, help people, especially frontline staff uh, in healthcare, um, but, but it would be applicable to other people as well, um, to kind of unpack some of the stress and anxiety that they're going through right now. Mm. I like that word, unpack it. Just as, as we were talking about, if you, if you keep it all in, it, it becomes, you know, that burden and you feel a little heavy to unpack things. If it's one at a time, things just become a little lighter in the mind and body. I absolutely love that. And Michael, I think it's amazing what the CMHA and, and your team ha has done. In a two-week period, it's unbelievable at the speed and, and work people are doing, and maybe right now that can be the silver lining that we see, how people have really come together and realize how much we need to support each other through this and the people that we've been supporting before do need more support. I think it's just like an incredibly, um, oh my gosh, that I could have tears of joy even just thinking about it. It's just a really special thing to see and to to really wrap my mind around. I'd just like to, you know, offer you the microphone as a tradition on the on the podcast to share any message that you'd like to the listeners. This can be maybe someone who's struggling right now with with stress or feeling overwhelmed. Um, anything you'd like to say, the microphone is yours. I think the first thing I'd like to say is is just to repeat please, please reach out. Whether it's to friends, whether it's to a program like Bounce Back or to a counselor, if you're struggling, find ways to get help. And if the first time you ask, someone says no, please ask again and keep asking until you get the support or help you need. Um, yeah, so that that's the first message, especially if someone is struggling. If people are doing okay, my next message would be be gentle with yourself and others uh, as 
Dr. Bonnie Henry, who's quickly become one of my personal heroes, says, be kind. Um, be kind and, and remember that being kind includes being kind to yourself. Um, I think we often see kindness as to someone else, um, but kindness can be applied to ourselves as well. And in these times, I think it's vitally important that we're as kind to ourselves as we are to other people. And I think it's vitally important that we're kind to other people. Um, yeah, I, I think those would be my, my two main messages. And to remember that at some point we will move from disaster response into disaster recovery. And from recovery, we'll move into our new normal. And not all of us will do that at the same speed. So some of us will go faster, some will go slower, which then for me just reiterates the importance of being kind and as understanding and patient with one another as possible. Absolutely beautiful and a great way to end it. Michael, I'd like to thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, that means a lot to not only myself, but all of the listeners. Thank you so much. Everyone, stay strong, be gentle, be kind to yourself, keep being you, and don't forget to express yourself. <laughs>